field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Welcome to The Outsiders, brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. This is Podcast 58. My name is Bryn Griffiths. His name is Robin Brownlee. How are you doing today? I'm outstanding, man. Sunny day. Uh, the spring seems to have arrived. I'm all good. See, we put the flowers out last week, and I know it's early for this neck huh. of the woods because you still can get a frost. We had to cover things up a little bit last night, but I'm with you. It's beautiful. The other thing, too. Playoffs are near. For the Edmonton Oilers, they're in. Toronto Maple Leafs, they're in. Winnipeg Jets, they're in. Montreal Canadiens, oh boy, it's getting a little tight, but it looks like they're in. But the Calgary Flames are now right at nipping at their heels. If the Edmonton Oilers win a couple of games here over Montreal, they they still got a shot. But we'll be talking with Peter Labardius from Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary, does color Obviously, I'm the Flames broadcast, but you know we're going to talk about hockey in general, not just Calgary Flames today. So looking forward to talking with Lou. Okay, so uh, your thoughts. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's just play it. This is what happened on Saturday night, and there's some comments from Connor McDavid, who obviously didn't want to take credit first. He passed it off to his teammate, Leon Dreisaitl. And then we'll hear the comments from Leon Dreisaitl. And Leon's comments, of course, were about Connor. That's where these guys are at. But it was a it was a fun night on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. McDavid, Dreisaitl shoots, scores! Dreisaitl scores! But the torch is being passed on from one drink to the next. The century mark in just 53 games for Connor McDavid! Uh, well, first and foremost, I think it's... Uh... It's unbelievable. Leo got to 500 tonight. That's uh, that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, you know, he's such a special player. So to see him get there is uh, is pretty special, and you know it's uh, um, it's very well deserved. Um, and to see uh, you know their reaction, um, you know my teammates' reaction, it's uh, it's really really special. Um, you know, and it really uh, really means the world to me. Uh, yeah, it's it's special. Uh, I think it's it's um, it's a very special night. Mostly for him, of course, but for us as his teammates to to be a part of it, um, I think you can you can sense early on that um, he had his legs, and um, you know he he obviously wanted to do it on on Saturday night, uh, hockey night in Canada. So um, yeah, I mean I don't know what else to say. It's 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 impressive. Um, you know I think he's he's the best player in the world. So um, it's it's fun to be a part of. Robin, one of the things that it was pointed out there by Conor McDavid, how much his teammates' reaction to it meant to him. When you take a look at the pictures on television or some of the still pictures that we've seen, the reaction of the bench, the reaction of Conor, the reaction of Leon Dreisaitl, the guys racing over to get the puck, all that kind of stuff. This team is having a lot of fun right now, and they're really playing for each other. That's a real positive sign for the hockey club going into the postseason? Well, uh, you know, absolutely. 
the one thing I thought about uh, when he got the hundredth point is what will make him happier than anything is that he won't have to talk about chasing a hundred points yeah. anymore. Now the questions may change to how many do you think you can get, but the, the, the point is this, and it's tied to what you said about the reaction of his teammates. If there's a common thread uh, with the truly great players, it's that they put team first. And I know that can be an eye roller for some people, but whether it's Gretzky, not making a comparison, or a Mario Lemieux or a Sidney Crosby, or, or pick your star. When they say, look, um, the answers are minimal even after a win. And after a loss, I don't want to talk about my points totals. We lost a hockey game. Here. Yeah. You get that from the very best players. And it's not just a for the cameras and for the microphones pat answer. You see that reaction. That's how he conducts himself in the dressing room when the microphones aren't around. It's okay, fellas. It's about us. It's about the first guy on the roster and the last guy on the roster. And this year, uh, the reserve guys, it's everybody. We're here to win hockey games. So it doesn't surprise me that we saw that reaction because that's the way he plays the game. Team first, me second. The points and the hardware will take care of themselves if the hockey team wins. I'm not a big guy to compare, you know, certain eras against another era because there's a lot of factors that come into place that here or – to compare Connor McDavid to Wayne Gretzky's era is tough. To compare Gretz to the Rocket Richard era is tough because so much has changed in all of those eras. I do like to just take a look at what this one guy has done right now rather than just do comparables. But you know what? Having grown up at the old Coliseum, going to games with my dad who had season tickets, and we were there for the 50 goals in 39 games. And I remember Wayne had got off to such an incredibly quick start in that game. And with the much higher voice, I turned to my dad and I said, gee, Willikers, he could get to, you know, we we're talking about the fact that he could get five points tonight. My dad basically trying to be the sane one and suggest, well, let's just wait to see how it goes. Because, you know, you're playing other guys who have got a lot of pride and don't want to see that happen. So as much as you're very excited about it, the other team, the Philadelphia Flyers, have got a lot of pride, so let's just see how it shakes down. Sure enough, 50 goals in 39 games. Connor McDavid comes out on Saturday night, sitting at home watching that one, gets his first goal 17 seconds into that matchup, and I'm thinking, is this kid going to stay? Is, he, is this going to be the night tonight? Because he's already off to a great start so quick. Then he gets his second point pretty quick, and then the rest of the night it's just like, uh, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen because this is the kind of guy right now that is going to take a showcase event like hockey night in Canada. And he's going to be able to send a, I'm worthy of the heart trophy message out coast to coast in Canada. The really big stars just know when to shine. Do they not? Yeah, you can call Yeah. And you can call it what you want. You know, he's got a, he's got a flair for the dramatic, He's got the ability to uh, seize a moment. And when he gets a little taste early, uh, like he did with that goal, you sit back and wonder, um, 
you know, is he going to do this? We were talking before we came on. I immediately put out a tweet. It wasn't about a hundred points when he got got the goal so early. I said over and under on the season for Connor McDavid, 103 points. So all of a sudden the needle moved for me to 103. 100 he was going to get, and maybe that night. And, you know, when he finished it off, um, hey, the Gretzky situation, I saw it on TV. I wasn't lucky enough to be there uh, like you were. But, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's an M, you know, it doesn't matter how it happens, that it happens all in that one game, because people were thinking a game or two. And I think most people probably thought, well, Connor's going to get a hundred. It's just a matter of when, well, when he got that first point, it was like, okay, here we go. Not surprised the way it, not surprised the way it played out at all. Sure. We'll bring it up with Peter Labardius coming up in a little bit. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about is the department of player safety for the national (laughs) hockey league. That whole Tom Wilson debacle, and I think that's probably as good a word as as we can use here. I thought it was handled poorly by Tom Wilson. I thought the Rangers, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, sending out a tweet like that, although I can understand their anger. And the National Hockey League handled it badly. That whole thing was a mess. Thank goodness for the league. There's been some positive stuff to talk about that's kind of taken the brush or I guess the, the branch and tried to cover off some of the nasty tracks from that whole mess but did you think it was handled very well by anybody no i thought it was handled poorly uh top down uh and bren you know i won't go on about old school and this and that there was a time uh when i was a players take care of it themselves guy yeah i i honestly with deference to some former players who were great players i never got near the National Hockey League, except in the press box. I don't buy the let the players police it. It's not policing it when you drop your gloves and beat the shit out of somebody. Because if that was the case, the first time Dave Semenko did that to somebody, uh, or pick your guy, uh, Timmy Hunter down the road, uh, go back further, John Ferguson cruising around, if you know a team's loaded for bear and if you know that if you touch a star, there's going to be hell to pay in the form of you're going to have to fight. If that was such a strong message, how come cheap shots continued on through the ages? It's not, well, I bet I can't do it because they're tough. I can't do it because I'll have to answer the bell. It never stopped. To me, it's more of a, It's become a, and hey, if people disagree, fine. More of a macho thing. Maybe I'm showing my age. Uh, We're going to stand up for ourselves. No, that's different. Standing up for yourself is not a bad thing. Showing that you won't be pushed around is not a bad thing. But that's not policing it. That's not proper punishment for uh, a misdeed. And I'll tell you what, what Tom Wilson did was dangerous. Yeah. It wasn't warranted. And he's got a long track record of this kind of stuff. Now, a lot of it's hits that have been to the head, not mayhem in a scrum. But the 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 reality for me is if George Peros and he's the face on it, it's not only George, but he's the face of it. So not his fault, but his problem. You've got to take Tom Wilson out of it for at least a game. I thought it deserved many more. 
by having him in there, you know what? There were probably going to be fights even if Wilson didn't play, but Department of Player Safety has to police things. You cannot leave it to the players because now the talk is this, Brent. Well, maybe this happens because the tough guy's been legislated out of it. Maybe team X, Y, and Z and multiple teams, maybe they're going to need to get that guy. You know what? Yeah. It doesn't stop anybody from doing anything. Honest, no disrespect to the guys who've played a remarkably tough role in all the years leading up till now. If you want to say it's revenge, if you want to say it's instilling fear into the other team, fair enough. I'll go with you. It's got nothing to do with policing the game. Well, the thing that was dumb about this one is who are they playing next? They're going to play each other the next game. So yeah. would it have not, how easy would it have been to just say, we'll give you a, a fine of X amount of dollars, plus you're going to sit out a game, knowing yeah. that they were going to be squaring off in that next game anyway. You could have completely diffused the situation, but by not, mm-hmm. not handing out a one-game suspension, that's where the problem came for me. And I'm not a big Tom Wilson fan. I think he just goes looking for trouble. And, yeah. I, and I'm not a big fan of that. I think trouble just comes to some guys naturally without them having to run around looking for it. But I just thought it was handled poorly by everybody. And, and I cringed at the Rangers' comments on their tweet. And, oh, man, it was a mess. But you know what I did? I was watching. I was watching that game. I wondered how long is it going to take before we see a few guys drop the flippers. And it only took three seconds. So I wasn't surprised. I'm with you, Brandon. You know what? That's part of when I look at a situation like this. And believe me, this is a 180-degree swing for me of what I thought, what I believed tough hockey was even 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, But but especially 15 or 20 or 30 uh, when I was a younger man. If you want to say as a fan, you know what? Because you brought you just brought it up. You know, hey, when do people stand and cheer? Well, so for goals and for for fights. Um, if as fans you you, you buy your ticket uh, or you watch on TV under COVID, if you want to cheer, if you want to say, you know what? I like a good scrap. I'm not going to get on my moral high horse and say you're not allowed to like a good scrap. Just say, say it for what it is. I like a good scrap. My only problem, and it's it's the burr under my saddle today, just say that. Just say as a team, we're not going to be pushed around. Please do not try and move it into the uh, realm of, well, if you don't have it, it'll, you know, it's not policing. It's not justice. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's not a deterrent, Brent. If it was, people would have learned long ago not to ever touch Wayne Gretzky or again, pick a star player. When the Oilers were loaded for bear and they were always loaded for bear to uh, complement all that skill, that's what made them so good. It's not because they were, it was because they didn't want to take a shit kicking from Sammy or name your player. Or could not, not afford about- to be shorthanded because that, that power play back in the day, kind of like the Oiler one these days, they were going to kill you if you took too many penalties. Yeah, the, yeah. And, and Detroit made a living out of that. Oh, too. yeah. 
they didn't they just said okay you go to the box we'll take it we'll take it from here um team toughness is it a bad thing no not if not if you've got skilled guys who are tough uh, and Tom Wilson, frankly, is a guy who fits into that category. He just steps over the line too often for yeah. my liking. He's a good player. Um, but it's not policing. What it is is vengeance and you can't push us around. As long as you divide those and, and don't try and BS anybody why you like it, you know, that's hockey. Well, that MSG game, you knew that was out by the bike racks. We all knew yeah. that was coming, and which is why I watched. Uh, I'm as guilty as the next person. I I tuned in early because I knew it was going to happen, and and yep. it did. Coming up in a couple of moments, we're going to be checking in with Peter Labardius from Calgary, who is the color commentator on the Calgary Flames radio broadcasts on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Looking forward to hearing what Pete's got to say. Are you? Mm-hmm. It's going to oh, be lots absolutely. to talk about. Hey, The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. You know, this is a really good time to perhaps sell or even buy a new home. And that's because interest rates are so low. The Edmonton market, the Metro Edmonton market, which includes Sherwood Park, St. Albert, of course, all the regional communities. It's really quite hot right now. And uh, as I say, that's because interest rates are so low. Just chatting with Brent the other day and his team is quite busy. But uh, he says, if you are interested in tracking them down to find out more about how hot the market is right now, give them a shout at 780-464-0075 or at macintoshgroup.ca. Get the process going here a little bit with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. As I said, right now is a good time. Both buyers and sellers can give them a shout at the Macintosh Group. Talk to anybody over there. Got a great team. They'd love to hear from you. So that's the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. Directly, once again, 780-464-0075. Or you can check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. As we tape this, the Calgary Flames are still in the playoff race, although a lot of things have got to happen here mathematically to stay in it. But we decided to check in with Peter Labardius, our good friend from Sportsnet 960, the fan, does color on the Flames broadcast. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing great. Can I know we have to talk about the Flames, but I'm also open to other subjects that we'll are do that. easier. We we will do that, but let's talk first and foremost about the fact that Flames fans have to be cheering for the Edmonton Oilers now for a couple of nights. There's a level of uncomfortableness there. Yes, I would suggest that there absolutely is. Um, Might be a situation where if you are a diehard Flames fan, and it's fabulous in this sense, is there's not a lot of people who have necessarily been on both sides 
of this rivalry. I can say I'm somebody who's been on both sides, albeit now for a long time on the other side. I, I think probably the easiest thing to do tonight is maybe don't even tune in. Just uh, hope for a good result and take it from there. But not, yes, you're right. Not only uh, that, Pete, they've got, they've got to be outright Euler wins. A tie, a tie isn't oh, going right. to do it. Yeah. No, one point for the Montreal Canadiens in those two games will be enough. And, you know, the Oilers, to their credit, have had an outstanding season. Uh, Dave Tippett, Ken Holland, you know, needless to say, the elite of the elite at the top of their lineup. Um, you know, they get to do now whatever they want to do. And they deserve to be in a position in these last three games. However they want to play it, they get to play it. And if you're the Flames, like in a lot of situations in sports, when you uh, leave it up to somebody else, you can't really have a whole lot to say outside of go McDavid, go, go McDavid, go. <laughs> if he's going to play, if he's going to play any, and, and I'm sure he, he will. But if I'm, if I'm Dave Tippett, I know one thing. I'm not sure I'm throwing those guys out 23 minutes a night a whole lot in the next little while. Yeah. You know, Pete, I don't, I think, uh, I don't think we're going to see that. Um, in the last week, McDavid has played two games under 20 minutes, which is yeah. rare for him. You know, he's not going to sit out as far as I can tell from what Dave Tippett has said, but if you cut his time to 18, 19 minutes, mm -hmm. he's still on the high end of the scale for your average forward. It gives him a rest. The same thing with dry sidle. Uh, to me, the big one is Darnell nurse. Holy cow. Ooh. 27 minutes here, 28 minutes there. Um, at some point he's got to at least pull back the reins. Don't you think? I, I would, I, I would think so. And, you know, you look at where the flames are in a scenario that's been so disappointing and, you know, so few of their key performers have had really, really good years. On the other side of the coin, um, which key Edmonton Oiler hasn't been really, really good? And obviously we can talk about the two big guys, but Robin, the gentleman that you just named for me has been an absolute standout in Darnell Nurse. I know against Calgary, in the season series, he averaged nearly 28 minutes a game. And in fact, he was over 33 or four times, including yeah. the last meeting. So you're right. I, I, I agree with you. What a stellar season has probably put himself, especially since he's a left-handed shot in the Canadian Olympic team conversation. And you know, again, it's it's hard when, you know, you're flying the flames flag a little bit. You're hoping for the best, but I, I can't I can't say anything negative about what I've seen from up north. And and the last thing on nurse is it he became so much more important when Oscar Clefbaum is not available. So, you yeah. know, tip of the cap to him, tip of the cap to Tyson Berry's coming in and done what i don't have to tell you guys that we don't need an oiler conversation that's not really probably why you called pete uh jump back to the flames for a second though yeah. i uh, you're not supposed to say this up in edmonton uh 
especially, uh, you know, I write for Oilers Nation and the two fan bases get at each other pretty, pretty uh, hard uh, on those websites. But I would like to see uh, from a selfish point of view, the Calgary Flames get into the playoffs. I think it's good for, you know, the Battle of Alberta. There's nothing lamer than when it's the Battle of Alberta in name only and neither team is very good. And we had that for a number of years. I, I kind of hope Daryl can find a way. They need help. We know that. But to me, it's better for hockey in this part of the world. It, it is absolutely better. And I think we have to go back, Rob, in one season. Being on both sides of the equation, let's be frank. We have not seen in the last 20 years very many what I would call Battle of Alberta's. Now, I understand the game is very different. Right. It's very, it's very different from when I worked around you guys in Edmonton in the late 90s. I mean, it's, it's very different. But the truth of the matter is, um, you know, the Oilers' biggest rival for a long time, certainly when I was around back then and did some TV. Oops, I knew the phone was going to do that. <laughs> um, it, in the mid-2000s, and, and you could say the same for Calgary. I think Vancouver was the number one rival for both the Alberta teams. And then last year, um, while they seem like unicorns, we, we've seen three or four prior to this year that, okay, this, this is kind of what you remember. And, and it doesn't have to be about fisticuffs. Those days are, you know, again, as we saw last week, those are kind of unicorn situations. And, but to me, it's the passion. It's in, and frankly, here's what terrifies me. And I, I tongue in cheek. If they ever meet in a playoff series again, which we know hasn't happened since 1991, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about how the players are going to battle. It's the fans and the media and everybody else. Like it'll be like, I, I might want to watch that or be involved from a different place if it ever happens. That That's a great point because we did not have social media back in the day. And for uh, me, you know, and you're thank right. Thank goodness. Anyway, the, did I say that? Yes, you did. But that's fine. You're entitled to that. That's what, why we're yeah. on. But mm -hmm. for me, the Oilers, the Oilers, I can only think of the one game in Calgary where the goaltenders weren't at it, where it was even remotely like it used to be. Because the Oilers' rival in the 1990s wasn't the Calgary Flames either. It was the Dallas Stars. It's been crazy. No question. We've waited so Seasonal long. Seasonal berries. <laughs> uh, we might have to explain <laughs> that story. We, we'll, we'll, we'll do seasonal berries later, that story. But okay. any, anyway, okay. uh, no, I mean, it's it's been crazy. So I think that the province, obviously, and really, if there was a year where we could have used a uh, Battle of Alberta, this would have been the yeah. one, right? I just think it would have been so special. Bryn, here's what I would say from a Flames perspective, and I, I've said this a number of times, guys, on a radio station. The hardest part, the way I see it and the way I feel about the Flames very likely not participating, and I know that you know fans aren't back in the building and it's been so different, and that's probably a conversation for another time, and, and we've had too many of those. But what an amazing thing it's going to be in its own right coming up in a few weeks when we have four Canadian teams going head to head, you know, for 
for two rounds, not all four, but we're going to have two rounds of all Canadian matchups in this North division. And what I'm saddest about from the Flames perspective is when you think about, you know, this day and age, your fan base, this is when you want your team to be involved. And the whole country, like, I can't imagine the rate, like the ratings are going to be Bananaville. And so to miss out on that and to potentially, you know, grow your fan base and introduce more young people and get them fired up, that for me, from a flame standpoint, it just, it's hard. This, you wish, wasn't the year that this happened. Okay, let's try to figure out, and then we'll start talking about what we see coming down the pipe in the playoff run here. Let's talk about what is happening in Calgary. I thought when they signed Markstrom, I went, oh boy, here we go. This might be the missing, the real missing element for that hockey club. He came up and started a little slowly, but it just never seemed, they never seemed to get in sync. Is that a fair assessment? It is a fair assessment, Brandon. Another fair assessment where this organization is at, you know, they've made copious coaching changes over the years. And and I'm not a person because I just, I don't necessarily believe in it, but I do believe in this. At a certain point, when you have a core group for a significant number of years, I think it gets to the point where you have to decide whether those people as a group, and that doesn't mean they all need to go in any way, shape, or form. But I just think at this point and this season, which has been very playoff-like in nature, it's been difficult in every way, shape, or form. And Daryl has said it a number of times, and you know Daryl, he's not afraid to speak his mind and tell you what he thinks, and, and I'm completely on board. Winning is unbelievably hard. Finding the right culture and, and, and the people to necessarily lead it and the fit. So with this core group, you know, Brad Treleving has done an excellent job of, you know, trying to add to it. And they got two great pieces, guys. I think foundation and culture pieces in both Jacob Markstrom. And for my money, Chris Canna has been their best player from day one to now. He has had a sensational season. Now, it may not show in the numbers, and I love this guy in all his years in Vancouver. I always thought Chris was the most underrated defensive defenseman maybe in the Western Conference. For me, it was like Vlasic in that category and then Tanev. Well, Chris has had a spectacular year. So it wasn't that they missed on those two pieces, although Markstrom was great early, got banged up early in the season in a game against Vancouver and has really found his way back. But, you know, you're at a point where you really have to examine your core group in a scenario where I think Brad has tried to almost build a new core underneath the present core to go forward with. But that's, you know, to put it in a long-winded nutshell, guys, that's how I look at things. I evaluate when it's hard. I evaluate when it's in the playoffs. And this core has not really delivered. And frankly, in Calgary, 
and I've said this a number of times publicly, 2018, 2019, they finished first in the West. They've really never been able to find that again. And I think that has created a lot of frustration for the players, you know, for the organization. And it's certainly like I've never seen this fan base as hot and looking for venom the way I have seen it play out. Now, of course, social media is a big part of that. Yeah. But, but, I, but I've been here doing this job now for eight seasons and social media has been a part of that. I mean, people here are angry beyond belief and they want a pound of flesh. And if you don't say what they want to hear, you're like, you've had it. You've had it. Is there one piece that makes the biggest difference? This team isn't one player away from being a cup contender, but you can't add three, four, five, six significant pieces in one off season. But you talk about the core Mark Giordano is uh, on the wrong side of his career in terms of he's a diminishing asset. He's still a good player. What do they need to add to that core? If you could pluck one player or one type of player that said and say, this guy will make the most difference. What are they lacking? Robin, I, I don't really think it's about a certain type of player. I think it's about, you know, I'm not the GM. I'm never going to be the GM and thank goodness for everybody involved. But I think the hardest thing to do in sports when you have not been used to winning and it's been one season. Okay. You know, this team has not won very many playoff series since they made it to the Stanley cup final in 2004. And you guys in your town are well aware and you have the greatest player on planet earth right now. And another guy that's not far behind winning is hard and establishing a winning culture and getting to the point where you, I, I, I use this statement all the time and I don't know who it is, but I know what has happened just hasn't seemed to work, but in sports, Yes, you need great players and really good players. And, and you guys can debate this if you want. I think in life and in sports, you win with the right best players. And I think in this day and age and in our culture and social media, where it's all about the stars, we've lost a little team. Hmm. But, but the guys who truly understand winning in a lot of cases have come from winning situations and are very selfless. And that's what it's about. And Daryl, Daryl's talked about that openly in the last few weeks. It's the standard is not there, right? It, it's not there. And, you know, you, we both have worked in markets where we understand how difficult that has been for a long time. And if it was easy, all 31, soon to be 32 teams would do it. But, but that's what I believe. And, and I, you know, and there's some really good players here. Some really good play. Look at this. The alarm's going off. 
This is just awesome. I, I love it. You are you what can, a clown. You can handle that phone with the best of them, Pete. Hey, but but no, I can. Let, let me let me just say this too. And, Sorry, and I, I'm gonna no, that's fine. Everything's great. Uh, this is what's fun about podcasts. But when I think back, and I hate to do this because I know there'll be people rolling their eyes, and I look back at the Oilers of the '80s. Glenn Sather always said, "Look, your stars are your stars, and you got to expect them to be way up here." It's what you do with your bottom six. Your bottom six. You've got to have the right bottom six guys that can complement the top six guys. Here, before they won their first cup, they went out and they got Ken Linsman, solid role player. They went out, the other the bit one of the biggest trades Glenn Sather ever made was he got Willie Lindstrom out of the Winnipeg Jets. Willie was a, a Yaroslav Pozar. Those were all character people. They who, were who went with the big guys. And they had great goaltending with Grant Fuhr and Andy Moog, but it was those it was that bottom six guys that they that they found a way to complement the top guys. And to me, you know, you take a look at teams that have got great depth; they're the ones that always seem to go the furthest. And whoever gets any kind of contribution from lines three and four tend to win, along with goaltending in the playoffs. Well, Bryn, I would say I'm half on board, and in the salary cap era, half not on board. Yes. Because when you have those star players, it negates, like, probably the thing about sports in the NHL right now I don't like is when you get to 30 years of age and you talk about those veteran, experienced, understand it, been through it guys that, like you, back then made a massive difference. Yeah. You know what I don't, you know what I don't like? There's no room in the game for those guys anymore. And it also, I truly, you know, in Edmonton, for example. So, yes, you have great players. And we expect our young, great players to be able to do it all. Guess what? I don't care if you're the greatest talent in the world. You need experience. You need to understand leadership. You need to mature. You need to grow. You need to be able to ask for more from your teammates. That's what going through experience and having those kind of guys, and that's the hard part, Brent, I think, in the game. There's not as much room. So if you have more of those guys, chances are you don't have the high, high-end guys. Yeah. And, and Boston is a perfect example. For Boston, they have found, and in Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Zidane Ochara before he left, David Krejci, who, by the way, do a lot of people know that David Krejci is the highest paid player on the Boston Bruins at just over $7 million? No. Well, that, that allows you to have the best of both worlds. And in the case of those guys, and I know they've only won one Stanley Cup, but those are guys who have done nothing but win at every single level. They understand it. You know, they, they don't even make $7 million when you talk about Bergeron or they're right there and Marchand. So winning matters the most. And, and I think with, and I, I'm not trying to be critical, I get it, with the younger players and where they come from, and, you know, hockey has become, to me, and, and a lot of things are now in 2021, very elitist in nature. 
you don't necessarily have the same background, the same upbringing. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a big picture, but your best guys, Bryn, the one thing, the one thing about the Edmonton Oilers and the greatest player arguably in hockey that I don't think Wayne Gretzky ever got enough credit for was his competitiveness and how desperately he wanted to win. Yeah. We saw, we saw that in his career and we saw that in 2002 when he was running our Olympic team. We saw it in 2004 at the world cup. This guy, was he the greatest? Did he have the greatest mind? Is he arguably the greatest player? Yes. But I don't think he and that core group ever got enough credit for the competitive nature and their absolute will and want to win. That To me, that's the money quote right there. Let's jump ahead now to Connor McDavid. When I look down at him, and anybody old enough to have been able to watch those great teams in Edmonton and now a young guy like Connor McDavid without the cups, he gets a fire in his eyes. You knock him on his ass. You run, you run him. Uh, he's not going to fight you, but he's going to stick it up your backside one way or another if he can. And Tell us what you've seen from Connor uh, these last couple of weeks and the 100 points and 53 and the, the whole ball of wax. What have you seen? Well, it's, he's the most dangerous hockey player, the fastest player with the puck that I've ever seen in a lifetime of watching this game at all levels. And as you guys have both known me for a long time, um, never seen anybody quite that dangerous and when he's at the top of his game even the best people on planet earth there's not a lot that you can do about it but here's what i've also seen with mr mcdavid and mr dreisaitl i see a way more determined i see a way more responsible i see two guys who are making massive strides in their 200 foot game, which I thought frankly needed some work. And that's part of maturity and understanding it. Yep. And nobody's ever going to question their skill and their talent and what they bring on both cases, especially the one guy. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I truly think the best thing that happened to the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is when Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, two noted winners who did not have a very good roster. They finished 12th. They won that series. And those guys at the key moments of those series were better than Edmonton's best people. And I think that has been and, and maybe it isn't. That's just from an outside perspective. But sometimes you kind of have to have a lesson to understand that maybe what you've been doing is good, but there needs to be more. And Dave Tippett and Ken Holland, honestly, when, when the Oilers grabbed both those two guys, I thought things... 
things are just going to get better. Because Ken Holland is one of the most respected guys for me that I've ever dealt with. He's a winner. He gets it. He's an excellent communicator. Um, and what the Oilers needed, as much as they have great players and everybody there, we need more depth, and they're going to get that too because Ken's going to have some good money to spend in the offseason. But where does that culture and that standard and stability Right. St- stability matters. The other thing, too, they were em- embarrassed and humbled and lost three straight games to the Toronto Maple Leafs in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And I-, I thought, is this the turning point in the season? And I thought it would right. be a negative turning point, and it hasn't been. I think that those two guys that we've just talked about watched from the bench what the Maple Leafs came into Edmonton and did and said, you know what, if we're going to get to the next level – we got to be way better, not just better, way better. It ended up those three losses, which kept coming up in the national media constantly up to a month and a half later. Yeah, but they couldn't beat Toronto in those three games. It was almost being rubbed in their faces, and it's almost like they used that as fodder or or kind of some kind of a fertilizer to increase their, the way they played. And it, I, I think that if you want to talk about a turnaround point, that could have easily been one too. I, I, Bren, I couldn't agree with you more. And on the Toronto side of the equation, I, I say the sim, same things about Matthews and Marner that I'm saying about McDavid and Dreisaitl. The Toronto Maple Leafs for years have been a very skilled team. Now they've brought in some different people that I think have really helped, whether it's on the ice, I think maybe even more off the ice. And those two guys, to me, especially Matthews, have never been more committed away from the puck. And that three-game set, where the Hyman line in in particular just made life miserable, again, but that's the growth of young people. If you want to win, and like Edmonton, Columbus, who would have ever thought in the summer? Columbus would have not just won the series, but they outscored the Toronto Maple Leafs five on five, 10 to three. Yeah. Team matters, doing it the right way. I know that's an overused cliche, but it matters. And, and again, they're young. You go through it. Somebody teaches you a lesson. And, and all those four star guys, I think they've, they've heard it. Yeah. We, we all hear things, but when you truly buy into the message, I'm seeing a lot of buy-in to the message. Pete, uh, I want your take on the Hart Trophy race. I've got mine, um, and I'll leave that for now, but when you look at the names out there, uh, McDavid, uh, Matthews, a uh, writer out of Pittsburgh was talking about Sidney Crosby this weekend, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Your take on the Hart Trophy? It, you know what? It's it's it has to be Connor. Uh, you know, hundred and fifty three, um, and he's reached a hundred. He was shut out eleven times, three times by the Calgary Flames, which is. You know, they've actually played Connor five on five pretty well, all things considered. They really have in the season series. But um, 
Matthews next for me for absolute sure. And I'm, I can't discount number 87 because number 87 for me is just a person and a player that I feel truly honored to have met at 16 years of age as a member of Ramuski. What he has done in our country, what he has done for the sport, the way he has carried himself. And again, what has Sidney Crosby been the most concerned about? And again, look at Pittsburgh. They look like they were on, on the shelf on their way out. Yeah. Who helped, who helped fix it and turn it around? That is a special, special champion. He is a true, when I think about champion and Mount Rushmore types, as, as a player and as a person, that, that guy, you know, in this era is at the top of the list. And so, yeah, there's lots of guys in the league that deserve some votes, but it, it's hard. It's hard not to go with 97. A little bit of breaking news this morning. It's starting to look like Connor McDavid may not play in this first game against the Montreal Canadiens tonight. Now, of course not. Here's, here's the other thing too. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, here's the uh, thing. They have three games left. The last one is against Vancouver, which is really going to be a nothing game, and who knows what's going to happen there. But for the Edmonton Oilers, these two games against Montreal, for me, I'm a big believer in being hot down the stretch. I don't like watching coaches outcoach themselves and maybe try this goaltender or try that goaltender trying to find a little bit of magic. If you got magic going down the stretch, don't F with it. I don't uh, – so this – to me, this is a big week for the Oilers – especially because they're going to end up right now. They're going to end up being playing the Winnipeg jets. Obviously Winnipeg is a little scary because their goaltending Connor Hellebuck has been so inconsistent this season, but we know what he's capable of. So here again, a goaltender can steal you a series or two. So uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, they got to get on a bit of a run Toronto Maple Leafs here in the last week or so seem to be uh, flexing their muscles who they're going to play. Looks like it's going to be Montreal, but we'll see. But it, I think this first round of the playoffs is going to be fascinating to watch. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Wish that the Flames are going to be involved, as I stated earlier. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it is. It's going to be fascinating is the great word. And, I, you know, Robin, I'll ask you your opinion on this. I'm not sure what I believe anymore about going into the playoffs because I've seen it so many different ways. I've seen teams crawl in and go on a great run. I've seen teams, you know, playing really, really well that got on a run. I think where I've arrived at, guys, is this. Health is huge. Mm -hmm. So whoever I have that is banged up, that 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 takes precedence for me over everything. Um, and the other thing is with my best players, what do they need in particular to feel right? So, you know, because this has become very, very oiler heavy, if if I'm Mike Smith, what do I need prior to the opening night of the playoffs? And here's the one thing I do believe. When the first puck drops, Opening night, take every other shift, every other goal, every other sequence, and throw it right in the toilet. 
it doesn't matter. I guarantee you, if you get on the phone today with Dave Tippett and Paul Maurice, they're going to say this. I am thinking about one thing. I need my team to be the best they can be when the puck drops in game one. So whatever that recipe is, whatever the utilization is, and whatever that plan is to get you there, to me, that's all that matters. The, the being hot, going in, all of that. I, I think, you know, your coach, your GM, you take the temperature of your team, you take the temperature of your best guys. Because when that first shift happens, the rest of it, it doesn't matter. That That's it right there, Pete. The best coach, a lesser GM when we're talking about personnel decisions uh, in the last week, two, three, four games of the season. I'm surprised. I said earlier today, um, I'd be surprised if they rested McDavid for a game. I thought they'd back off his ice time. We'll have to see why. Is he nicked? I'm not suggesting he is. Uh, but the best coaches say, what do you need? Just what you said. How do you feel? There's no formula that fits all. Mike Smith's 39. He must need a rest. Well, you know what? Not necessarily. It's great if you have the option to give him that rest, and then you ask him. It's great if you have the option to say, uh, Darnell or Leon or Connor. How do you feel? You want me to back off your ice time or do you want to sit one out just to get your legs back? Ask the players. Nobody knows better than the guys you're counting on when, as you said, the puck drops. And the crazy thing is those two coaches right now, I guarantee you are spending copious amounts of time saying, how are we going to do this? Because they both have been around for a long time and understand if it was easy and the formula was simple, you just go to it. But Robin, as I, as I just laid out, I think that is a big factor. I, again, you know, you know your team, you know your group, and, and you, you know your best players. And I think in many ways what they need, as long as, you know, the coaching staff and the GM believe it, you can get there. And, you know, Calgary in 2018, 2019, they were clinched. They had a long time. They, they rested some guys a little bit along the way, ran into, as Bryn talked about, a red-hot Colorado team who had battled down the stretch. But Colorado, like, without Mike Smith in that series – they sweep it, and that's a one versus eight. So that, to me, is a bigger story than just one team had clinched. I think it was a bit of a factor, but Calgary also won game one of that series too, yeah. which people forget. Well, you ask me uh, because I've, I've watched a lot of playoffs involving the Oilers, and there truly is no template, although the one thing I did – notice over the years uh, and I wrote about it the other day on Oilers Nation having the luxury and the option to rest is better than not because there were some years there were six straight playoff years where the Oilers met the Dallas Stars in either the first or second round well, I, rem I remember them quite well yeah and and outside of 
97, when the Marchant goal put them over the top, uh, the Stars owned them. And in some cases, not all, because let's be honest, we were talking about our first or second place team against a team that was at the bottom of the playoff qualification list. But in some of those years, the Oilers had to play hair on fire hockey oh, mm-hmm. for, for sometimes for weeks. Mm-hmm. And the truth was, they sometimes got to the game that they worked so hard to get to with Doug Wade out of gas or Bill Guerin out of gas or mm-hmm. pick, your, pick your important player. Now, if your best guys are out of gas and you're already playing a superior team, how is it going to go for you most years? Rest matters. Having your best people feeling the best that they can be health-wise and in their game matters greatly. So, yes, you can get on a run, but at some point, Robin, that takes its toll. And you're right. You, you go back to some of those situations. You go back to the first year I was in Edmonton, which was not to see the Marchant winner. But Dano, of all people, um, but it was 97-98. And remember... It wasn't easy to get in. They upset Colorado. Curtis Joseph, one of the greatest three-game goaltending performances you'd ever see as the Oilers bounce back from 3-1 to win that series in seven. But that all took its toll. And I have one question for both of you guys. Okay. Do you think Ryan Smith has finally lost the bruises on his back from Darian Hatcher in those series? I got to tell you, probably not. And Doug Wade took a lot of abuse. Uh, In fact, when I worked for the Oilers, I remember, and this is this is my intense dislike of the Dallas Horn, which goes after every goal. And when when we had hit Sean last week, in fact, we brought up that horn. Okay. And I still remember uh, Doug Wade after a Hatcher cross check to the back, which broke a couple of ribs, being underneath at the old Reunion Arena. And being in there with the doctors, and they said Doug wanted to freeze up, and we had Scott Oak waiting outside because he knew there was going to be some big breaking news on it. And uh, I had to go out and tell Scott, no, he's going to be fine. He'll be right back in. And Scott looking at me like, are you kidding? Come on, what kind of bullshit is this? Or I mean, it was just like you did what you had to do. But we heard the horn go in the locker room. And the doctor, Doug Waite, and I all looked at each other. We hate that fucking horn. That you know, it's just, it, it's just Dallas was that kind of a place. It was a oh. hard place to play. And when you had Hatcher, oh my God! But that, they had some pretty pretty solid teams, and it was great rivalry between the two the was two awesome. squads. You know, it was it was awesome. You know, the only time I ever saw Darian Hatcher and and Ryan Smith in the same vicinity without Hatcher beating the shit out of him. (laughs) And Ryan never backed off once. Ever. It was just a physical battle. He couldn't win. He could stand his ground because he was so bloody stubborn. But we were outside the Dr. Pepper practice center once, Mm -hmm. and Hatcher was there with his new Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And he was showing some of the guys and we came filing out after the skate. So he'd been there a while. Cause we were skating way after they, and we all walked by and Ryan Smith and some of the other guys 
looked over and hey nice car sweet ride no nothing that hatcher could see but that was literally in the playoffs the only time ryan smith was in within 20 feet of darian hatcher <laughs> where he didn't get a shit kicking no true and if i was ryan smith i might have went over and left a couple of remnants on the uh ferrari <laughs> Hey, hey, before we go, uh, I want to ask you a tough yeah. question, and then we I want to talk about seasonal berries. Uh, okay. The first, the tough awesome. question is, general managers usually get about five years to put together their squad. Coaches probably three years to, to, to execute before they get executed or move on. But what's going to happen in Calgary? We've had a GM there who has been very – who's a great guy, first and foremost. He, he is. He is he, a – Yeah fabulous human being Fab fabulous, fabulous is a great word to use but this team that we're seeing on the ice now is the handiwork from the last five plus years how much teflon does he have how much rope does he have to continue to stay there and with with daryl coming on board and i don't know how much of a say trail living had on that but everybody's now saying well, if he's not looking over his shoulder he better be what's your assessment on that Here's my assessment. Okay. Personally, I am really hoping that Brad continues just because I think so highly of him. He's treated me with absolute respect, kindness, um, has gone over and above in a few cases. So you never forget that. And, and more than ever now, I cheer for people more than I cheer for teams. And that's Absolutely. the honest to goodness truth, unless they have a Maple Leaf on, and then that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but, but outside of that, I would say this, um, I, it's tenuous. That's the honest to goodness truth. Yeah. And probably what the determining factor will be, Bryn, is just how aligned Daryl and Brad are, their vision together. And needless to say, that's pretty hard to read in COVID times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you hear, I've heard lots of different mixed things, but uh, there's no, I will say this. I know who's not going anywhere. Uh, yeah. The guy from Viking. Yes, correct. Yes. Three-year contract yes. said it all to me. Me too. But when that's the, that's the same amount of time left. For Brad too, yeah. he has two more years as well. So now, league wide, and there's lots of runway left for things to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Tortorella, thanks for coming. Rick Tockett, thanks for coming. Uh, and Rick Tockett, I think is is a heck of a coach. Um, do we see a carousel this off season? Pete, are, are there enough guys out there that are on shaky footing that we can see a lot of changes in your mind? Probably. Probably. I mean, we know one job is open for sure. That's with the new team in Seattle. And um, there is shaky ground. Um, we've seen coaching changes. I went through one. And, you know, Jeff Ward, you want to talk about spectacular humans. Mm -hmm. yep. I, I, I've dealt with coaches my whole career. And he would be in my top two or three. That's, that's what I think of him as a person. Um, I don't, I, I've learned almost everything in my life. And I, when, when it comes to an end, one of these days, and it's gonna, I am so grateful for all the coaches, GMs and scouts 
because that's where I've learned everything about the game and have been so lucky. Um, I'm not sure why anybody wants to coach right now in some respects. I get it. It's never going away. Coaching is what I admire the most and mentorship and, and what I love. So I get it. But Robin, I, I find that position has never been harder. It's never been um, more in the spotlight. And take this for what it is, whether they should, whether they shouldn't, what side of the fence you guys are on. I know this too. Players have never had more power. That's a hard gig, boy. Yeah. But that is that is one hard and at times thankless gig. Okay, before we let you go, and you brought up seasonal berries. Do you want to tell everybody that story? Because <laughs> let's end let's end on a happy note. Although it was happier for me than you. Okay. Um, well, okay, so Bren, Bren is in doing his outstanding job with the Edmonton Oilers and looking after donkeys like me back in the late nineties and we referenced playoff series um, involving the Oilers um, at that time and Dallas. Well, yeah. you know, a bunch of, a bunch of us and boy, oh boy, um, you know, a competitive group in Edmonton still is, I think, but I loved it. My three years in Edmonton, um, whether I wanted to knock you out or hug you, what a honestly, what a great time. And Bryn kept us all together. So we're out for dinner. Of course, just like today, here I am living in somebody's basement at 55, just so I can do what I can do, the littlest hobo that I've become. Um, and you know, everybody's having a big steak dinner, and I'm making about six dollars and fifty cents, but having the greatest time of my life covering the National Hockey League playoffs, adding another thing that I never thought in this business I'd ever do. So we get the dessert. <laughs> and I don't know if I was watching my weight that year or not. It's an annual thing one way or another. Um, but while everybody else was having great coffees, which at that time I had no interest in, and these beautiful desserts, I get the $6 seasonal berries. And they were not very good. And at the time in 1998, they were way too expensive for the taste. Well, see, here's the thing. I was on an NHL budget, and you were on a uh, television budget. So yes. my per diem was notably higher than yours. So oh, when, you think? When you when you saw the $6 seasonal berries, that was like a side dish. <laughs> and, and we'd all ordered the steak and everything. I think, yeah. the, I think the steak put you over your daily uh, allotment in terms of... I, I, I don't even think I got the steak because of that very reason. I admired you guys eating it and your creme brulee and whatever a lot of you were putting down your throat. I but, felt so bad for you because I never thought about the per diem issue and how yours was half of mine. Uh, no, oh, it's man. the greatest. You know what? Why would we ever change that? That's become a lifelong memory for the two of us. I know. It's been fun. It has. I, I got, that's so funny. I got to tell you guys, having, I wrote it both dailies here, of course. I was, I was 11 years at the Journal, yep. seven at the Sun, and the seasonal berries thing tends to come up depending on what system you're operating under. We always found, and, and, and Cam Cole was a champion of this. Oh, 
Um, we did, weren't on a per diem at the journal. If you could somehow justify it, yeah. you want to, it was an expense account. So if the meal was pick a number, mm-hmm. as long as you could tell a good story, and I would hope that a writer could, uh, you could justify it. Then later in my career, I went to the sun, it was per diem. And if I didn't spend it, I got to keep it. All of a sudden, even though I'm in my prime earning years, I'm eating the seasonal berries as well. Oh, yeah. To keep the per diem. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, see, the greatest thing, Robin, for me in the history of time, and I've been on every end of that scale that you could be on, but mostly per diem. I, I was never on that old TSN or your old plan where it was like, if you could justify it, but I've had some good per diems along the way, including now our per diem is just fine too. Thank goodness for every reason in the world that I never drank. Cash in the pocket right there. Well, I, yeah, you know, I, I must admit I never kept it for any length of time because <laughs> I found other things to spend it on like sports trips um, or <laughs> divorce. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, thank goodness I didn't, uh, that, that was uh, very helpful in the per diem game that, uh, I didn't drink. And for those people who know me, even after watching today, they'd probably suggest you don't really need it, need that. Or maybe you do. Thank you for your time. You're looking good and looking young and uh looking a wee bit young uh, although you do have that monday morning i had a game last night look about you today i gotta say yeah oh well if it if i'm being truthful and that's what i am the sleep last night ended at about 4 a.m and never found my way back so that might have something to do with it too gotcha thanks for your time it's always great chatting man okay take care you guys are the best thanks for having me thanks pete Big thank you to Mr. Seasonal Berries himself, Peter Labardius, for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, I really felt bad for him. I think we kind of forced him into that bad, bad Seasonal Berries decision. He should have gone. He should have gone with the creme brulee. We all did. We loved it. But you know, cash is cash. Cash is king. Okay, then let's wrap things up a little bit here on the uh, Outsiders. You can reach us via email at theoutsiders at shaw.ca. You can check us out on Twitter. The handle is simple. You're doing a nice job, by the way, of monitoring that. I do appreciate your time on that. But our handle is at Outsiders2020. The other thing, too, we're asking people to tell your friends to subscribe or follow us. And all you have to do is click on the RSS feed on any of your favorite candy sites, by the way, your candy sites, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever. And by following us and the RSS feed, every time we drop a new episode, you get it immediately. So that's pretty simple. And we're also on YouTube. 
And the other thing too, starting to get some more interest from people who want to become partners, advertising partners with us. And we thank you for your interest. And I think it's starting to pick up a little bit. We're getting some good comments. You had a nice comment this past week on Twitter. Did you not? Yeah. Some guy said he, I don't even recall what he actually said to us, but he said, I enjoy listening. Um, and that's, uh, that's good to hear because okay. that's the whole point. You know what? You, you, you're making me actually look to see what the guy's name was and I want to do that, but yeah, no, it's, it's really nice when people drop us a note and maybe suggest that they, that, that there's somebody they want us to talk to or there's a topic they want us to touch on. That's good stuff, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, you get enough of, uh, you know, uh, on social media uh, or, or on the website about people telling you, you they think you've got shit for brains and you're wrong. So it's always nice when uh, you get the other side of things too. Guy who dropped us an email uh, is on Twitter at Creech Adam, that's C-R-E-E-C-H Adam, A-D-A-M 19. So Creech Adam 19, thanks for the email response. We appreciate that. That's great stuff. Okay, deep breath, because uh, next week, Craig Simpson is going to join us on the podcast as we get ready for the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Looking forward to talking to Simmer. Boy, is there a guy who travels more than Simmer? He's all over the place. Yes, he is. It's pretty crazy stuff. Robin, thanks for your time. We'll talk next week, okay? We shall. Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle!